verse 16. This is the word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up with reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we have before us a text this morning that uh, has some strange things in it. It, it mis- mentions some things that are odd to us. But at the heart of this text, we can see is Jesus, is Christ, is the gospel and the message about him. So we ask that you would help us to go there. We ask that, yes, you would give us clarity and understanding, but we ask even more for the power of the gospel to be at work this morning. The power of Christ by his spirit to be at work transforming us, filling us with hope and with faith, and leading us into a life of obedience to your glory. We ask for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you were with us last week, you'll remember that Paul in chapter 2 of Colossians is in competitive mode. He is contesting voices, philosophies, ways of life, visions of life that would draw us away from Jesus. Visions of life that would draw us away from hope and faith in the gospel, the message about Jesus. And Paul is competing for our allegiance, for our affections, for our whole lives to be given to this message that he wants us to belong to. And in the second half of this chapter, he begins to narrow his focus. He zooms in on one threat in particular to our faith. And as he does that, as the camera zooms in in the second half of this chapter... And the picture becomes clear. What we find there is religion. And that's surprising to me. Because if I were to list the top ten threats to Christian faith, I don't know that religion would make that list. But Paul, when he wants in particular to talk about, to compete with a vision of life that will draw us away from Jesus. He, in particular, talks not about hedonistic immorality. 
he talks about disciplined piety, passionate spirituality. He says, there's the danger. There's the threat. Not the way I would have done it. My guess is not the way you would have done it either. And so we need to ask some questions about what's going on here. Why does Paul, when he wants to keep us in the gospel, why does he attack, why does he confront religion? Three questions about this text this morning. First of all, what is religion? Second, what's wrong with religion? And then third, what's the alternative? So first of all, what is religion? What is Paul indeed confronting in this chapter? Well, notice here in this text, he talks a lot about rules, standards, expectations. And I think we can fit these rules into three categories. There are rules about substances. So verse 16, he talks about standards concerning food and drink. And then he comes back in verse 21 and he talks about don't touch, don't handle, don't taste. He's probably speaking of, of rules that are, that are drawn from the Old Testament, what we would think of as the kosher laws of the Jewish tradition, laws that we found in the Old Testament developed by later religious tradition about here's what you can come into contact with, here's what you can ingest, and here's what to avoid. And so Paul, Paul talks about rules about substances. He also addresses rules concerning calendar. So he talks about festivals and new moons, seasonal celebrations and observances, Sabbaths. And again, we're connected here to the Old Testament. Remember in the Old Testament, God gave his people a very highly structured calendar. And they were to observe certain days and they were to do some things on those days and not do other things on those days. And so Paul talks about rules concerning substances and calendar. And then he talks about rules concerning experiences. Verse 18, he talks about asceticism. Visions, worship of angels, connection to spiritual beings. And he comes back later in the passage and brings up again asceticism and severity to the body. And I think what's going on here is he's addressing an approach to spiritual experiences that uses pain. So you use pain on the physical body, for instance, fasting, in order to create an experience of visions, or an experience of feeling a connection to spiritual beings, or having an overwhelming, ecstatic, religious experience. So talk, Paul talks about rules of substance, rules about calendar, and rules about experiences. Now this is a, this is a varied list. There's a lot of stuff here, and some of it seems to be drawn from Jewish religion. Some of it seems to be drawn from the pagan religions that would have surrounded the Colossian believers. But what do we do with this list? Well, we need to think about what connects these very variable elements. What connects this list of different types of rules? And what connects them is why they exist. Why do these rules exist? And you begin to see that in what Paul says at the beginning of verses 16, 18, and at the end of verse 23. He says, do not let anyone judge you, do not let anyone disqualify you, and all of these rules, 
They can't overcome the indulgence of the flesh. And the flesh is sinful desires, so they cannot come, overcome sinful desires. The implication there is that someone connected to the Colossian community was trying to make these rules play those roles. So it's taking rules about food, about drink, about calendar, about experiences, and saying, this is the way to judgment. This says who's in and who's out. This is the way to overcome the problem of sin. With these regulations, these standards, these rituals, that's how you deal with it. So notice, it's saying, listen, we have a problem. There's something wrong with us. There's something wrong with the world. How do we make it right? And these people are saying, well, you make it right with all of these religious practices, with all of these rules, with all of these standards and measurements. And that's religion. Religion is knowing that there is something fundamentally wrong with us and our world and then reaching towards something else to make what is wrong right. That's religion. That's what Paul is confronting. And that impulse to know that something is wrong and reach for something to make it right, that impulse is not limited to the ancient world. It's not limited to the Colossian community. It is not even limited to what we call traditional religions. Dr. Stephen Bratman is a physician who has spent much of his career treating patients who have very unique relationships to food. Uh, Not what we would generally consider eating disorder. These are people who have very uh, unique views of food. For instance, he treated a woman who would only eat yellow foods. Her her entire diet could only consist of yellow foods. And what he's found as he has treated these people is that what drives their relationship to food, which, I mean, obviously, if you only eat yellow foods, that's going to create health issues, right? But what drives them is not what we traditionally associate with eating disorders. It's not body image. He says what drives them is a desire to be pure. That when he sits down with them and says, look at all the research. All the research says you should eat green as well as yellow. They they can look at that and say, I understand it, but I can't eat those other foods because they make me feel dirty. They make me feel wrong. Something's wrong with me. I am reaching towards something to make it right. And I use that as an example, and yes, an extreme example, but to say that this religious impulse, it is an inescapable human impulse. And we latch on to all sorts of things, all sorts of rules to to feed it, to deal with this impulse, to reach towards our hearts, our lives, our world being made right. 
rules about food, pay attention to, wait, to the way that our culture and the food movements that have arisen, even here in Tallahassee, the way we talk about food, not just a desire to be healthy, but a desire to be pure, a desire to be in the right. We do it with parenting choices. We do it with dress. Sometimes in the Christian community, we do it with what you're allowed to watch, what you're not allowed to watch. All sorts of things that we use to deal with this religious impulse. And it crosses the cultural divide as well. Socially liberal, socially conservative. Both sides do it. heard an interview uh, with Nora Ephron's sister, and they, they grew up in a home that was very nonconformist. It was a home that insisted, oh, we're not going to follow the norms of society. And she says it was a very difficult home because there were so many rules. There were so many rules about how not to conform to the normal rules of society. <laughs> it's the religious impulse. Something is wrong. We are reaching for it to be made right. Why does Paul confront that? I mean, that overlaps with the Christian message somewhat, doesn't it? Something is wrong that needs to be made right. We would affirm that. Why is Paul confronting this impulse and this practice of religion in us in the Colossian community? Second question, what's wrong with religion? What is wrong with this, with this attempt to reach towards something to make the wrong right. What is wrong with that? Well, first, the problem with religion is that it excludes rather than includes. It excludes when it should include. So again, what does Paul say? He says, do not let anyone judge you. In verse 16, verse 18, do not let anyone disqualify you. Why does he say that? Well, because someone, either inside or outside the community, was trying to do that. Someone was attempting to exclude them. Someone was attempting to judge them, to disqualify them, to say, hey, here are the religious standards. Here are the rituals, the experiences, the standards that you have to meet. And because you haven't met them, you are not spiritually acceptable. Something is wrong with you. You do not belong to God. You do not truly belong to God and His people because you haven't taken these necessary steps. Why? Why does religion exclude when it should include? Why does it do that? Why does it draw those sorts of lines? Well, because it needs significance. It needs weight. It, le- it needs legitimacy. It needs a way to say this is the right way. And so it goes to those things to give itself weight and authority. And why does it have to go to rules to give itself authority? Why does it have to exclude rather than include to have authority? Because it's powerless to do anything else. Because it is powerless 
to do anything else. Verse 23 again. These religious practices, they appear wise, but what? No value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No value in dealing with the depth of human sin. You see, religion cannot change you in the way that you really need to be changed. Religion is powerless to overcome the problem and the depth of human sin. It is powerless to overcome the indulgence of the flesh. One more food illustration this morning, and then I'll be done with food illustrations. Steve Jobs, famously very, very strict in his diet. Very, very strict in what he would eat and wouldn't eat. And when he was diagnosed with cancer, what did he initially do? It's become a famous story. He refused the treatment that his doctor suggested and instead intensified his regimen of what he would and wouldn't eat. And he shortened his life because of it. He went without procedures that would have extended his life because he thought he could treat his cancer with his diet. Going to religion with the problem of human sin is like changing our diet when what we need is surgery. It is like adjusting our external problems, putting a Band-Aid on a deep disease that needs surgery. And what happens when we do that, when we take rules and standards and rituals and all the elements of religion, when we go to those things to deal with the problem of human sin, is it creates a vicious cycle. Creates a vicious cycle where we reach out to be changed. We reach towards the wrong being made right. And then when religion fails to do that for us, all we are left with is proving that we're at least better than other people. That's why religion excludes. It can't change us, so it gives us a way to prove that we're better than that group over there. Or at minimum, we're at least better than that person sitting over there. And we get on a roller coaster of superiority, Because of how much we have done. How strictly we have followed the rules. How much we have sacrificed. And then we crash into inferiority. Because we can never do enough. Religion enhances our desire for change. And then it takes us in two destructive directions. Usually both directions at the same time. It takes us in the direction of shaming others because of a false sense of superiority or shaming ourselves because of a false sense of inferiority. Are you tired of the ride? It's why so many of us are exhausted. It's why we struggle with anger. 
It's why we look at other people and feel that division. Because we are on the ride of religion. It takes us to the heights of what we think we can do and then crashes us down when we find out the limits of what we are indeed able to do. Are you ready to get off the ride? Is there another way? Third question, what's the alternative? If this is the failure and the problem of religion, what is the alternative? Well, the alternative is not an improved method. It is a better person. Paul says in verse 19 that those who have gone to religion, what's their problem? They are not clinging to the head of the body. And who is the head? It is Jesus. They are not clinging to the one who nourishes his body, the church. They are not clinging to the one who can do what? He can bring growth. He can bring transformation. He can bring a transformation that comes from God, not from human effort. You see, Jesus can do what religion is powerless to do. Because Jesus came to deal with the depth of human sin. Jesus came to break that cycle of shame. Jesus came to take us off the ride of religion. And to find that we can be healed. Because the cancer of sin cannot be healed with the adjustment of your religious diet. The cancer of sin can only be overcome by the surgery of the gospel. Because how does Jesus overcome sin? Well, he dies and rises from the dead, right? He takes on the punishment of sin and he overcomes the power of sin. And if we are in him by faith, we die and rise with him. Verse 20, you've died to the old way, right? You've died to the elemental spirit, the powers and authorities that keep you in that cycle of religion. You've died to that. And then if we cheat to next week, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says you are now alive together with Christ. You die and rise with Jesus. That is the surgery that cuts out the cancer of sin. That is the only way to the transformation that religion promises but cannot deliver on. And notice how Paul contrast Jesus with religion. Verse 17. He says these old rules, they are shadows. Jesus is the substance. Understand this is not a contrast between unreal and real. It is a contrast between old and new. It is a contrast between different points in the story. Because remember, many of these rules come from the Old Testament. Many of them, in fact, were given by God. They weren't bad in and of themselves. But what was their role in the story? 
Well, they were hints. They were anticipations. They were shadows of what was to come. And what was to come? Jesus. See, all the practice of religion can do is expose a need. This is how the Old Testament functions. This is how the law in the Old Testament functions. It exposes a need that it cannot meet. And Jesus is the one who with his life, his death, and his resurrection meets that deepest need. He is the only one who can break that cycle of slavery, the cycle of shame. Religion is right in that it it exposes our need. But it is wrong in that it can't meet that need. You know those movies that have a plot twist at the end that completely reinterpret what you've already seen? So my favorite of these is is The Usual Suspects from the mid-90s. Probably more famous than that movie is uh, the, the sort of brief career of M. Night Shyamalan. So Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and those movies where you're watching the movie and you think something is happening and then there's a plot twist and all of a sudden you realize, oh no, what I thought was happening wasn't really happening, it's something else. And with those movies, you can never watch them the same again, can you? Once you... Once you see the plot twist or once someone tells you about the plot twist before you see the movie, um, you can never watch it the same. Because all of a sudden you say, hey, look there, there's a hint. There was a hint of what was really happening here. Jesus is the plot twist. And as we look back to the practice of religion in the Old Testament, we can see, oh, there's a hint. There's an anticipation. There is something that points to what is true, to the one who is to come. And Paul is saying, don't live like the plot twist hasn't happened. Don't live as if you haven't seen the end, as if you haven't seen what Jesus has done. Don't live as if you have to overcome the problem of sin with your effort. Live as if sin has been defeated by the effort of Jesus. Because you say, religion says, ascend to dwell with God. Jesus says, I... God in the flesh, I have descended to dwell with you. Religion says, follow these procedures to make yourself pure. Jesus says, I've taken the filth of your sin in my own body so that I can purify you. Religion says, make yourself acceptable. Follow the rules to make yourself acceptable. And Jesus says, I died and rose from the dead. You're accepted. You're accepted. Come and welcome to your Father's house. And don't let anyone, don't let anyone 
tell you that you don't belong. This week, will you hear the voice of religion? Will you hear the gracious, life-giving voice of Jesus? Let's pray.